Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm here with my co-host Molly Herford. Um, and today we were going to take a little step back from our having guests every week um, and sort of go over what we have found to be the top takeaways from the awesome people we've interviewed so far um, and also go through a couple of Q&As, some questions and answers um, from some of the folks we follow or who follow us on the social medias um, and who have been going over to consummateathlete.com to check out the episodes we have up so far. Um, so we've taken those questions and sort of put them into common themes. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Did you want to talk about where we've been or anything like that? Yeah, I think so. This is one of our first podcasts we're getting to do other than the first initial two where we're actually together because we spent a solid month where I was home in New Jersey uh, and you were up here in Ontario, but now I'm finally back in Ontario and getting to ride mountain bikes again. The weather's getting pretty awesome. Um, so we were saying we should uh, we should maybe list all of the various activities we do in the course of a week to uh, kind of keep us honest when we're doing this podcast since we're talking about being this consummate athlete. So, Peter, what activities did you do this week? Um, well, the last couple weeks have been pretty hectic. We've had two big Canada Cups, so two big national races um, for mountain biking. So been definitely on my mountain bike a lot and trying to be recovered and stuff for those two big races um but i think over the last couple of weeks i maybe got i don't know if i've been in the pool this past two weeks i've probably nope. skipped it on the pool but been pretty good with my morning run and that's only usually for five or ten minutes just out the door while food gets going um just to try and keep a little bit of running ability in there um and then we've done a couple hikes up the mountain or otherwise um, bit of walking for you yeah i think we walk most days i usually get between the five and ten thousand steps um and then i did some strength last week i got thrown into a strength class at the gym which was fun um maybe closer than i wanted to the race but that was fine and then we had a fun family barbecue with all the trek team and associated family and stuff so we actually got in some football playing and stuff which is good lots of tumbling and throwing and crawling around and some wrestling and stuff so that was pretty awesome evening let the record show i handled the wine drinking portion of that evening because that's important too um yeah so what have you been up to you're coming into your xterra yes xterra in two weeks so that means i've been attempting to swim bike and run with relative frequency uh we got to do some mountain biking uh, a couple of girls and i got to ride mountain bikes this weekend on the canada cup course although we didn't race uh, we got half a lap in with Emily Batty before she decided to actually do her openers and left us in the dust, but always exciting. I've uh, been running a bunch. I've gone hiking with a couple friends a few times, which has been a bit, kind of a change for me, getting a bit more social with my activities. Uh, I went to one of Peter's group strength classes at the gym, which was cool, and I got back in the pool for the first time in 10 months in preparation for this race that's coming up. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. I have to get in a few more times. And I've only skipped out on morning yoga once in the last two weeks. Granted, it's seven minutes, so it shouldn't be that hard to do. But Oh, and thanks to our HRV podcast with, uh, Marco. with Marco Altini, I have actually been taking my HRV for the last couple weeks. And it's been kind of interesting to see how that, uh, that ebbs and flows. Not totally... Uh, 
used to it yet, but it's been sort of fun to have that five minutes in the morning of just breathing in, breathing out. It's a good way to start the day. Yeah, that's been my last couple weeks. So what do you think? Let's get into some of these questions. Sure. Yeah. All right. So the first one we wanted to kind of get to is, you know, we talk a lot about what being the consummate athlete means to the different people we've been interviewing, but they're all kind of, you know, developed in their various sports. So we wanted to kind of go into the question of how can I get started becoming a consummate athlete as just a total beginner? So this could be, you know, you maybe were active 10 years ago, but haven't been doing much lately. And now you want to be able to play with the kids or you've got friends that are always out doing cool stuff and you'd like to be able to keep up or tag along at least. Uh, so yeah, Peter, what do you think? What are some of the first steps someone can take when it comes to kind of getting in shape here? I think probably walking is the easiest and like mixing your terrain. So I mean, start where you are, but definitely, you know, get out the door and then be a little more explore a little bit more and make the train a little bit harder and more variable as you get used to it but start you know five minutes at the door in the morning and that's you know not too hard to get included i think that's probably the spot to start because that's going to get you exposed to trails and that's going to get you moving you know if you've been a cyclist or on the you know couch a lot or you know just working a lot that's going to be something that's pretty accessible no equipment and you know it's going to give you a lot of benefit Absolutely. I've been a big fan lately for the past year, actually, I guess, ever since we were in Ireland uh, a year and a half ago of sort of walking to do all of my errands. So today I, you know, walked the mile to the grocery store, got a full pack of groceries and walked back with that, plus a bunch of new plants for our patio and a sprayer. So I had my hands pretty full uh, and a bag that weighed probably 45, 50 pounds by the time I was... uh, done with the grocery shopping it was a very heavy trip um but yeah that's that's sort of how i make the walking gradually ramp up versus you know ramping up to running mm-hmm. yeah and definitely that's you know how you would start running like once you can walk and not be sore you know for say 30 minutes or you know a good strong hike for 30 minutes or something then you know that's a better indication that you're sort of ready to run whereas I think a lot of times people are like I'm gonna get fit and they start running so yeah and I mean you can even we do a lot of hiking just straight up we have a, an escarpment so basically a mountain right near us so we'll hike up that um, and I would almost rather do that than an easy run a lot of days and I feel like it's probably about the same heart rate walking up super steep stuff than it is running on flats mm-hmm. but it feels a little bit more casual which is great um, and then we've, uh, you know, we've talked a bit about some of the uh, body weight exercises. What are a couple of your favorites for getting someone into shape? Um, I mean, it's really any of the classic body weight calisthenic stuff is fine, right? Like it's, I wouldn't overthink it. I would, I like to sort of, even if you can get like a timer going for 30 seconds or something and just spend 30 seconds on your push-ups and then maybe squatting down to a chair and trying to really control it all the way down and all the way back up. So what we might call an air squat. Um, you know, lunges are great. Again, they open up the hips, really challenge you sort of in that split stance. Um, so lunges would be another one. Uh, did I say push-ups? Push-ups on a, like the side of a couch or on a box or a bench or something. Um, I like to see people doing like a full plank versus doing knee push-ups. So 
Playing mm-hmm. with that, like the kitchen counter is a good one. Um, you know, if you're if you're really struggling with push-ups, but trying to get that basic plank because that's you know what you're gonna have to do if you go out onto a bike or you know that that ability to hold that hollow position or that plank position is important in a lot of sports. Absolutely, and I mean we've talked a bunch lately between the two of us just about uh, pull-ups and how being able to do a few is a pretty good indication that you're at a good body composition and that you know all systems are running pretty well yeah and it takes a while to get there and a lot of people are pretty broken in their shoulders and stuff so definitely that's something where if you can get some sort of rowing motion whether that's with a dumbbell or something like a trx or like a towel wrapped around your deck or something like some rope wrapped around something secure you can do body rows um, that's sort of where you would start working towards a, a pull-up. But yeah, definitely if you are able to do, say, over three pull-ups, you know, maybe more, you're, you know, it's a good indication that everything from body compos- composition um, to your strength um, and your mobility are, are pretty solid for sure. But I wouldn't say in terms of getting started, I wouldn't say like try and do a pull-up. Sure. As much as like, but definitely rowing, you know, the more we all hunch over our phones and bikes or couches or whatever, um, definitely the more pulling you can do, generally the better. But that's harder to do just randomly in the, in your house, right? Because it's harder to pull, just harder to find opportunity to do that, whereas a push-up you can do anywhere, right? Absolutely. Uh, now, what about mobility? Because I feel like if someone's just starting out, this is sort of a perfect chance to get a good mobility practice going versus once they're already sort of in pretty deep. So what's sort of some of the beginner mobility stuff you recommend? Yeah, I mean, walking is definitely a big part of that. Um, For opening up the hips. And... Yeah, I mean, your arms are moving into extension sort of behind you. Um you know, it just, you're moving your ankles and stuff, especially if you start walking onto hills and stuff, then your ankles are having to work. Um, so, I mean, actually just getting moving a lot of times is, is a big part of that mobility. You know, we can do different things and get massages or roll on foam roller, but that's such a small piece of your day. Um, but definitely, again, if you're watching TV or something like that, like it's easy to get into a lunge stretch, so sort of on one knee, um, you know, and you can start opening up your hips that way. Um, just putting your arms over your head would be a good start. Most people's arms don't go, you know, past horizontal or over their head at all during a day. So starting just, you know, putting your hands over your head and doing some side bends would be a nice thing. Any of the yoga stuff. So some people like following a yoga routine. Um, some people like it just sort of more free form. But yeah, definitely your lunge stretch and your arms overhead are going to help you both open up that hip and then also get shoulders moving through range. Yeah, and on the topic of yoga routines, if you ever want great ones, if you go over to Strala Yoga, uh, Tara's got some fantastic videos that are, you know, between three minutes to, you know, 40 minutes, and I really like a lot of their five-minute ones. I think, yeah, Tara's an amazing yoga instructor and definitely worth checking out, so that's Strala Yoga. Um, now, what about for someone who's already elite in a specific sport? I mean, you can speak to this kind of coming from that elite mountain biking background. You've seen a whole lot of racers who are so, so great at what they do, but either when they retire or they get injured, they're in a lot of trouble. So what would you recommend for them to kind of get towards more of a consummate athlete versus niche pro? 
Um, I guess it would depend if they were done or not. I mean, if you're making money and, you know, moving forward and chasing that, then, you know, that's a pretty, you know, niched out thing. And that's sort of your decision on the, the trade-off and what you're doing. Um, but I think a lot of people, you know, just, again, walking throughout the day, um, some of this core stuff is super easy to do on the road. You know, just maintaining, again, like in cycling, for example, um, shoulders, again, don't move through range of motion. And then all of a sudden you fall and we wonder why, you know, collarbones break all the time and uh, rotator cuffs are always damaged is, you know, a lot of that relates to shoulder mobility um, and or the ability to fall, you know, without without an outstretched arm. Um, so tumbling ability. So. You know, there's certain people can crash all the time and, you know, they tumble away, you know, and I don't know whether that relates to, you know, a gymnastics upbringing or whatever, but um, I would just start doing something and again, sort of, you're essentially a beginner in everything because you're super elite in something, right? So start with some walking and some basic calisthenics like you know if you're super elite in something like cycling or running you know there's a good chance that something like a a plank and a push-up and you know a pull-up those are going to be you know places you're going to see improvement every time you do them basically so which is always fun if you're really used to not seeing any major gains and you've only been making yeah definitely that's the curse and the blessing i guess right is like you as you get to that pointy end of the stick you spend full years trying to get small percentages right so sometimes it's actually quite a relief to go and do other stuff like that and you know see that you go from one pull up to 10 pull ups over the course of you know a bunch of months for sure um so now we've uh, we've done seven or eight eight podcasts now uh what would you say some of your top takeaways have been um i think the biggest thing is seems to be like the grip strength yeah, Ryan Atkins talked a bunch about that, talking obstacle course racing. And someone else did too. Adam Adam Narod did about rock climbing. Yeah, yeah. So that's something I've always liked, whether that's with uh, like weighted carries or things like that. Um, but it does seem like something that's coming up a lot. So we're talking to a few more rock climbers and um, a few other people, you know, from gym backgrounds. So I'm interested to see whether that continues and what their thoughts are on that. Um, but it seems like something where, again, if you're talking about someone who's, you know, maybe an elite in some other sport, checking in on that, or, or just a beginner generally, checking in on that grip strength and working on that as part of your routine. So again, that could be just having, trying to hold onto a really heavy weight, you know, maybe doing, I don't know if you do the squeeze, like the truck driver um, spring squeeze thing, but... Ooh, or you could get one of those um, arm wrestling machines like uh, in Over the Top with yes. Sylvester Stallone. I suppose, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I think that grip strength is maybe a place where, you know, if you are trying to broaden out your horizons and be a little more adaptable, you know, the grip strength might be something that you could include a couple times a week, you know, again, with a weighted carry or, you know, some sort of hold. Um, I mean, hanging from a bar even, right? And it, that gets back to how do you get your pull-ups, then a lot of times it's actually just the ability to hold on to the bar. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah, for me, I think what's sort of been interesting is talking to some of these great athletes about um, how they get into new skills. And I think, uh, you know, for example, Adam Narot talking about how he got into kayaking and paddling. And 
uh, Dakota Gale on how he got into climbing and mountain biking and swimming now. Um, Both of them had really different approaches to how they go into new sports. Adam sort of really enjoys being kind of a noob and figuring it out that way. And Dakota likes finding an expert and trying to train with him or her. Uh, But what really impresses me or was impressed upon me is that both of them go into new skills with such positive attitudes. Uh, And I think that's such a key. I know for me, mountain biking is super tough because I get discouraged really easily when I can't get over stuff because it's not a natural thing for me. Um, So it's definitely become one of my goals to go into that kind of stuff with a much more positive attitude because I think that probably helps both of them get to the points that they want to be at. Um, So we have this other question from my friend Scott who asked, he has a 100K mountain bike race coming up and he does not have a clue what he should be carrying for something like that. He doesn't know. Backpack, two water bottles, beef jerky, what what is he carrying? So Peter, you've you've coached plenty of people that have these long races, um, whether it's hundred k mountain bike or century rides or you know all day backpacking adventures, stuff like that. What do you usually suggest? Um, it sort of depends if someone's gonna be elite level and have lots of support. Um, so the reason it depends is because it's sort of a different race in a lot of ways like something like wilmington 100 which is down in lake placid which just happened a couple weeks ago um you know it's there's maybe four or five aid stations and like the elite winning times maybe three and a half if i remember right so i mean you have a lot of chances to get aid and so if you have someone handing you bottles then you don't need to carry a pack and you can be way lighter um but for a lot of the other people who are more in the six and seven hours, then you're starting to get longer and longer between, and you know there might not be support people handing them bottles. Um, so those people end up using packs, which is fine. It just weights them down a little bit more. So long story short, you need to carry enough water to achieve the time that you're going to achieve. So for most people, that now means packs, and the pack technology is getting better and better. Um, so what I usually have people do is figure out how much water roughly they're going to need and whether that can be done with bottles. Um, you know, some bikes now with the dual suspension stuff don't have much in the way of bottle carrying capacity. So that answers the question for you. Um, some people just really like the hydration pack because it's easy to drink out of and carries their tools and everything else. So let's assume that you're going to use hydration pack, um, so that's the first thing you need to have is something for your water and your a pack that you've used a lot. <clears throat> um, and then from there, usually what people will carry is probably two tubes. Um, again, this is assuming you don't have support. Um, and then usually uh, some sort of speed patch thing for if you've got multiple flats. Um, if you need tire levers, then you'd need those. Uh, most people will carry a spare derailleur hanger. Always, always a good one. Um, and then what else do people have? I go pump over CO2 for long races like that. Yeah. So I'll, what I used to use was a, they make like combo. So like a pump CO2. Um, but yeah, if you have a pack, now the pumps are so small and so good. It's worth having both. Absolutely. And food wise, I mean, that's such a huge depends on what you're used to, but 
you know, you have to generally figure out, like Peter was saying, about how long it's going to take you to finish the race and prepare for that plus an extra at least hour, I'd say, um, with familiar foods. This is not the day to be testing out that beef jerky if you've never eaten the beef jerky, even if it looks really tasty at an aid station. Yeah, basically it's like math. So you know that you're going to need about 200 calories an hour, maybe a bit more, maybe a bit less. Again, you should figure out sort of what you can take in um, and what you sort of thrive on in practice. Um, and you can basically do the math. Like if you're expecting sort of a five-hour finish time, then you know you know you need 200 calories. That's 1,000 calories. So you got to figure out how you're going to split that between whether that's mix or gels or bars or sandwiches or whatever you're into and whatever you've you know practiced and so the biggest thing is just to practice you know that pace for the race that equipment for the race your bike for the race um and all your fueling stuff for the race absolutely and i mean the same applies to adventure races run races anything like that and i think it just bears so much repeating because people often go to these races and get the swag bags with all of these cool new food and drink mixes and stuff. And it's so tempting to toss them in your pack for the race. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've seen it written about so many times, but it still is worth just saying over and over again, only use stuff that you know works on race day. Not time to experiment. No. And I would say also just, you know, whether your race, uh, this just comes to mind because a client had it, but... That you know, they was up with a bunch of friends. You know, they're gonna go do a big sufferfest type ride, and you know, pick that day to try this thing. And he ended up with gut rot and you know, the unmentionable things. <laughs> and you know, it, it's a shame, right? Because you put all that work in, and you want to, you know, go and you know, drive your friends into the ground. You know, and then it's just because you picked the wrong sugar powder or whatever, right? So, um, so yeah, so do the math, figure out sort of your safe you know, amount of water and food that you should likely need um, and go from there. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and I will also just put in a plug here. If, uh, if you're a female out there looking for a pack, I know it's really hard to find ones that are comfortable What with, uh, you know, we have breasts and men often don't. So it makes it harder to find one that fits. I've been really enjoying the low rider packs from Camelback. Uh, they just ride lower on the hips and they fit super comfortably and they hold a ton. So new favorite thing. Highly recommend. Um, so our next question sort of relates to this because people have been asking Peter about bike choice for Leadville. Yeah. And again, I think this would apply to a lot of the, we'll say marathon racing for a mountain bike. So that's your Wilmington's, your Leadville, any of the Leadville qualifiers. Um, a lot of these races are largely gravel. Um, so traditionally, and again, this sort of relates to that ability to put two bottles on, I think, as well. I've always trended towards sort of your hardtail 29er. Um, now bikes are getting so light and so efficient that I don't really think it matters that much. Um, but certainly you want to consider weight um, and your gearing, especially for something like Leadville, um, where you're going to have you know really, really fast, flat, pavement sections but then also like the steepest uphill ever um so yeah so i still sort of go towards that 29er uh hardtail but again if it's light and efficient and you know you can carry your fuel and all your tools and stuff 
Um, the biggest thing is that you've ridden that bike and it fits and it's reliable is the biggest thing is they're reliable but definitely we don't want enduro bikes or you know giant travel bikes that are going to be bouncing around on all that because a lot of it is you know really stable not that bumpy of, of terrain right so certainly your 29er tires can take a lot of that that shock you don't need necessarily a dually Absolutely. And make sure you have a saddle that is comfortable and broken in. Also, not the week to upgrade your saddle. Yeah, I had a couple, I guess, clients telling me about other people who, you know, are doing a lot of their training for these races on road bike. And again, it is, it's not that technical. Most, a lot of these races aren't that technical, but um, I've always been big on pushing people to do, you know, because a lot of these people are really busy, right? Like they're not doing what you would read in a textbook as your typical hundred mile race prep so time on bike you know but on saddle time is not huge so i always trend towards you know a lot of workouts on that race bike on that race saddle on that race backpack on that race fueling um, because we don't get a lot of kicks at the can but we also want to make sure that on race day um, all those little things i always call them the little things that you know those are the things that ruin your day whereas if your fitness isn't you know perfect or you know you have a rough sleep or whatever that's not you know you're still going to get through but if you know you get horrible saddle sores on the side of the trail with cramps or gut rot from your sugar powder or your bike breaks down because you never rode it and didn't realize the frame was cracked or something you know that's that's pretty sad so just make sure you practice you know for the fueling question and for this one just make sure lots of practice lots of reps on on whatever you're using for sure. All right, so I got included on this thread on Facebook yesterday, and I sort of want to address that and kind of the more broad topic at hand with it. Um, so the question was, uh, this was from a guy, and he was asking what the most appropriate way to start the don't wear anything under your cycling shorts conversation with a female customer was. Uh, and, you know, his biggest issue was just he didn't want to offend this woman or, you know, freak her out or make her feel really uncomfortable so how how can you address that uh, and since i've written a book on the topic uh, saddle sore a women only guide to you and your bike someone tagged me in it and asked what my opinion was uh, my first opinion was to maybe lend them a copy of my book so if you are a shop owner i highly recommend keeping one around if you don't have any female employees because that way you don't actually have to talk to the woman about it. You can just be like, hey, we lend this out to women when they buy new bikes from us or when they're just getting into riding. If you have any questions, they're all in there. Um, but it, it does bring up sort of a, an interesting thing. A lot of the time we, you know, those of us that have been doing a sport for a long time are coming up against people that are really new to the sport and they might be doing things that are sort of, you know, wrong for example peter will still wear underpants under his running shorts uh, which i think is ridiculous but you know how do you tell someone what they're doing is not the most ideal way to do it uh, peter you're you're a guy and you you coach all different types of people men women beginners veterans have you ever had sort of that awkward situation come up um, I mean, a lot of my clients are a little more advanced. Certainly, I've been at clinics and different things where, you know, charity rides or, you know, in the bike shop example is a good one. They would probably deal with this more frequently, whether that's on shop rides or just, you know, people coming in for service and obviously wearing, you know, underwear. Um, 
I don't know. I think the book thing is a good idea. The other thing I was thinking is, you know, you could have a, a quick reference of like common mistakes for beginners or something like that and shoot that out to your club, you know, early in the season. And that way it's not, you know, uh, hey, stupid, you're wearing underwear type thing. Totally. Because um, it's more of a social like etiquette thing, right? Like you got to read the situation and not offend people or scare them away. But at the same time, issues like that can be, you know, a deal breaker with someone's comfort or or whatever, right? So that's sort of the dilemma we have here is, you know, what do you do when these issues are potentially a big deal to keeping someone happy and in the sport and enjoying things um, versus offending them, you know, by being too abrupt or too, you know, out there. Yeah, or just making yeah everyone feel embarrassed. So, I mean, you also have to gauge, I guess, yeah, what the how bad it is if they continue doing it. In the underwear case, I would so strenuously urge you to figure out a way to address that Um, just because that can really kill a ride and kill, like Peter was saying, an enjoyment of the sport. Um, Yeah, it's, it's always tricky telling someone they're doing something wrong, but I think, you know, for the sake of their comfort in the sport, it's usually worthwhile and you might actually make a friend um if you're a guy and you're dealing with a woman like this um if there are any women in the shop or you know any female riders that you can maybe connect them with that might also be a smart move to sort of remove yourself from the situation um yeah so that would be my best advice on that one um so we, uh, we ask this one every time we're talking to someone who is in a couple with another uh, active person. Uh, so we figured we'd probably, we should probably ask ourselves the same question. Uh, so how, how do we train together? And I'm just going to throw this one right to Peter to start. Um, I think our tactic usually is to avoid, I guess, in almost like triathlon, Molly's really good at swimming. Um, just even naturally I would say just really good at swimming but you've done a, you've done a lot of swimming in your life and then obviously I've spent a lot of time trying to get good at mountain biking and cycling generally um so then we have running in common which we've both done and I think Molly's probably a better runner but I have a little bit of fitness buffer there that sort of helps me hang on so we've done some pretty big runs and big adventures that way together um and certainly we've combined that with hiking and walking in there too whether that's in the you know just extending something by hiking running or like run walks or whatever so that's definitely where we spend a lot of our active time and then i think we do very punctuated and try to control she's taken me swimming once or twice now and i've taken her mountain biking a few times so and it only ends in tears like half the time, so we're doing pretty well. Yeah, so I think just being aware and finding that common ground, and I don't want to be a broken record with walking, but I think that's... Walking's so great, though! I think that's the best time, because, I mean, it separates you, right? And it takes all the distractions of social media and everything else out of the way, and, you know, I think a lot of our best conversations and stuff come from that, so... I think, again, walking sort of levels the playing field, where even if you're super fit, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're dropping people on a walk. You know, the the requirement isn't huge. Exactly. I think one thing we did have to learn when we first started dating, and I actually plan to address this more in sort of my own little podcast at some point on this show, um, but it's just that we don't have to train together just because we both 
love riding bikes and we both like hiking and running and all that stuff. Uh, we don't actually have to do all of our workouts together and I also don't need to train as hard as Peter does on the bike. He doesn't need to swim like I do. You know, we just aren't at, we don't have to do the exact same thing or train the same amount of hours just because we happen to be, you know, marrying each other. Um, and yes, just not getting upset with each other over any training stuff. Yeah, and I think I like in my bike sessions with people um, when we're working on bike skills to try and set an intention, which I've stolen from yoga. But You've also stolen from Ryan Leach. Well, he <laughs> stole it from yoga too. But That's true. Setting an intention for the day. So what do we want to learn? You know, what are, what are we going to do today? And I think a lot of times that sort of sets the mindset for people to be ready to be a little bit of a beginner and that we're going to work on log hopping or something like that today. And so I find that that helps head off some of the frustration that someone might feel, you know, if they're not getting a log hop or it's taking more than one attempt. Um, so I think in the same way, if you are going out with a significant other or even a friend or, you know, something like that, just setting, you know, are we going to work on skills today or do you just want to ride, you know, on the pass or, you know, do you want to ride in front or behind? Um that yeah. actually is one of the biggest faux pas that we've seen a few times now where we've seen um, couples that are out riding and the guy will be in front with the female behind him. And I have seen this actually flip where the woman was stronger and in front, but the guy was just hammering and the woman looked so, so upset and so miserable trying to keep up and just like fading off the back. And then the guy looked grumpy and... I mean, the same on mountain bike trails. I've seen guys at the top of a trail, like, standing there waiting for a girl who's literally crying on her way up the hill. Um, I've also seen that reversed, where the guy is sort of teary at the bottom while the girl is waiting at the top. Um, and I think that's just because, yeah, the intention wasn't maybe set correctly. So your expectations sort of need to match in order to enjoy workouts together unless you happen to be blessed with exactly the same pacing at the same perceived exertion rate. Mm -hmm. So if you're out with your significant other who is very new to the bike, maybe this is not your day for intervals. All right. Um, best nutrition tip that I learned while writing Fuel Your Ride, my latest book which is all about cycling nutrition uh, well the biggest thing is just learning and this is one of those things that you kind of know but it really got hit home was just that cycling nutrition is really not about what you eat on the bike that matters but what matters way more is how you're eating the rest of the time um, so you know your race day nutrition is important but what's more important is how you've been eating for the six months prior to that like all the proper fueling in the world is not going to save you on race day if you've been eating Doritos every day for eight months, um, despite Doritos being delicious. Uh, the other big thing I learned about was the uh, how important protein was, and that just kept coming up in every interview I did, and especially with my primary expert, Nancy Guest, who is a fantastic resource. Um, she was the head dietitian for the Pan Am Games and for the Vancouver Winter Olympics for Canada. Super fascinating woman. And we just talked so much about how important it is to eat enough protein for recovery and for proper fueling and muscle building, and even for just being able to 
lose weight if that's what you want to do. Um, yeah, and it's definitely an important component to losing weight. Um, definitely see that with clients and for myself, definitely. Uh, I do like the paleo diet, which we will not dwell on, but if we want to call it a whole foods diet, um, you know, definitely not just only eating meat, which is what paleo usually sort of gets associated with, but thinking whole foods and trying to minimize, you know, foods that are very, very calorically dense, um, you know, in favor of foods that are going to have a lot of nutrients. So, you know, not that you couldn't be vegetarian, um, but certainly again, that we don't want to minimize things like the Doritos or things that are easy to eat the whole bag, right? If we're talking about like, can you eat just one? You know, it's one steak is a lot more, you know, satiating than yeah. a bag of Doritos, right? And it's pretty hard to eat too much protein. I think it's certainly possible. It is, but, but I mean, your body's got a lot of regulation for that. And again, like you begin to feel sick, and like your body really doesn't like doing that. So, um, and those foods are very filling. So it's a great way to kind of self-regulate your calories without counting them. A little bit, yeah. So, And it takes a little bit more work to digest it. So there's what they call the thermatic effect of food. So that's you know part of the why protein's always touted with body weight and body composition. But certainly it's also tied into maintenance and building of muscle. Um, and then also, as Molly said, sort of the recovery immune component as well. So um, yeah, protein's definitely important. Yeah, so with that in mind, um, we often get asked how we handle cooking and nutrition while we're traveling. And I mean, we spend probably at least 40 weeks of the year traveling. That just kind of doesn't count the weeks at a time we get to actually be back at the condo and have all of our normal cooking stuff with us. But yeah, we're on the road quite a bit. So keeping, uh, keeping enough healthy stuff stashed away and especially like 40-hour drives, it's definitely really difficult to uh, always get the proper nutrition that we want. So I guess our first thing that we often do is we travel, if we're driving, we travel with our giant skillet, which is fantastic for cooking up breakfast with eggs and tons of vegetables. And then for lunch and dinner, we can, you know, easily do stir fries with just lean meat and tons of veggies and a little bit of coconut oil in there and Peter's favorite sweet potatoes. Um, so that's probably our biggest thing is just bringing that around makes it so we can cook good food in hotel rooms. I think we've also learned that rotisserie chickens and giant salads are really easy ways to have a really healthy dinner in a hotel room without any cooking. Yeah, definitely. That, and especially as things like Whole Foods and Trader Joe's and stuff are you know more common than your rotisserie chickens becoming less of a crappy food and salt laden and everything else um so that's definitely there's a lot of things in grocery stores now that are much more sort of ready to eat that aren't you know quite as much of a sacrifice on the nutritional side um, yeah we definitely hit up chipotle a fair amount too but yeah. mainly for salads versus burritos yeah definitely the restaurants too are getting easier to eat at things like um, Panera Bread and places where you can get like a decent salad that's not just you know romaine and croutons or something. Yeah, even even driving across the country in the middle of the U.S., we could find Paneras, which was fantastic. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else on the road wise. We'll do protein powder if 
if we're in a pinch because sometimes it's just hard to find a decent quality source of protein if all year around is sort of gas station convenience store type places. So we usually have at least a couple backup protein powders, protein bars, that kind of stuff on us. And then try to supplement that with, you know, whatever fruit and fresh vegetables we can find, which is not always the easiest thing. Peter loves V8 juice. Yeah, definitely that's easy to get at a gas station or something. But yeah, and I think trying to make sure like either breakfast or dinner are really good meals if you're traveling. And then, I don't know, being content not eating quite as much during the day like you know being a little hungry but sort of sticking to your rules a little bit which you know some people go pretty hangry Um, (laughs) so obviously you need to be prepared for that but yeah just being you know if you can get a couple bigger meals when you know the eating's good and then you know sort of taper off a little bit when it's not quite as good and yeah grab a v8 or you know, if you have some fruit or whatever with you, some, you know, a little bit of nuts, but not eating the whole bag of trail mix or something, you know, there's, there's ways to do that, but. Yeah. We will also look for nights that we're flying or days we're traveling, we'll avoid drinking. I think that's sort of not drinking water, drinking alcohol. Uh, Drinking water is actually a big, you know, definitely do a lot of that, (laughs) but we'll kind of cut out the wine if we're, you know, going to be traveling a bunch. It just kind of, cuts down on extra calories and also definitely helps with our sleep quality and stuff like that which is always kind of difficult when we're on the road um and i think though i mean we say all of this stuff but i think there is some value to just being flexible and some days i'll have a bagel for breakfast because that's what's there and i'm okay with that and i try to make up for it later in the day and eat better but there's nothing wrong with that and i think to stress out and freak out about not being able to find you know the super healthy option is probably ultimately going to be worse for you if you're raising your stress levels that much over it so do what you can but you know eat when you're hungry if you need to sweet so do you want to do one more or do you think that's enough i think so let's do one more and it kind of ties into this travel thing and that's just what do you do when you're training on the road because often we are not traveling with our bikes especially for some of the shorter trips and a lot of the overseas stuff we've done yeah i mean i think that's maybe where a lot of our motivation for this idea of the consummate athlete comes from um, yeah, because we don't always get to travel with exactly what sporting goods we maybe want to bring on a trip, we've sort of had to uh, figure out how to do other activities. So I think that's where just getting back to those basic the two things I talked about, you know, that Anywhere Core, which I'll post. I made a couple videos of what I call the Anywhere Core routine, which is just what we were talking about, like basic lunges, air squat, um, you know it sounds simple but it really hurts um you know and it's quick so i've been using this with a lot of my cycling clients because they travel but also because they really like riding their bikes so trying to convince them to do any sort of you know core maintenance thing especially during the season is very hard so something that's you know they can do a five minute version or a 20 minute version with a couple sets and they can do it anywhere like if they have to do it secretly in a bathroom you know that might have happened um so yeah i think the walking and the the core, you know, that's going to, you're going to feel pretty good, you know, and you, that you can operate like that for a bunch of weeks, just doing those two basic things most Absolutely. days. This, I'll just add one, the one thing I did add in is anytime we had a treadmill, I would do, 
Um, again, I run and I'm able to run. So I would do with a very steep setting on the treadmill, I'd do some just short intervals, like 30 second sprints, and then sort of trudge along with a very steep setting on the treadmill. Um, and I like steep just because again, it sort of, I think that it's similar, more similar to cycling is the real reason I do it. But I think it also challenges your ankle mobility, but it also like you work really hard, but the speed doesn't have to be as fast. Um, so if you like for me to go really hard with a flat setting on the treadmill is going to be basically maxing the speed out and I barely have the coordination to move that fast. So, um, I prefer the very steep setting. So what I'll also do, so there's the interval, so say six by 30 seconds, you know, big long break in between and just try and really kill it, um, on a steep setting. And again, use your judgment on that. Um, but the other thing I'll do more importantly is just uphill walking, you know, 30 minutes, you know, I'll just sort of maybe do core for 30 and then just do uphill walking and you can get working pretty hard and the speed doesn't have to be very high at all. So I started using that with a lot of my traveling sort of executive clients because it's again, I think similar to cycling motion, um, but also is pretty low impact because the speed isn't too high and you're sort of just stepping up. Um, you're not getting a lot of that sort of downwards force from running or whatever, so. Yeah, absolutely. I'll definitely just throw on running shoes and at least try to get in 30 minutes. But every morning I do, like I said, between five and 10 minutes of yoga, sort of no matter where we are, I've done it in airports and looked like that guy, but made me feel a lot better once I was on the plane and I'd at least stretched a bit. Um, the other thing I'll do is I'll, you know, do some weights if the hotel has a gym. Um, and I'll look at the area we're in and see if there's a yoga place that does cheap drop-ins or even a free first-time drop-in. And sometimes the hotel might not have a gym, but if you ask at the desk, they actually have something, some kind of partnership set up with a local gym. So that's sort of another great way to get in some extra, extra workouts and you know check out an area. I also just love running when we're in different places because it's a great way to see the places. And I'll walk all of my errands and do heavy bags when I can. But yeah, just trying to kind of keep moving throughout the day and not spend a whole lot of time sitting in a hotel room, just working on the computer when I can avoid it is, you know, usually pretty key. And Peter will also do this anytime we're driving and we stop at a gas station. We'll both be sort of the weirdos in the parking lot doing a bunch of stretches uh, while we're waiting for the gas tank to fill. Sounds weird, but it makes you feel a million times better. So that I think is gonna wrap up our first Q&A episode. Uh, hopefully you you know got some value out of that. Please let us know by either tweeting at us at Molly J. Herford and at Peter Glassford or leaving us a comment on the show notes page over at consummateathlete.com. And if you have any questions or other people you'd love to hear on the podcast, we've got a few more new episodes coming at you pretty soon with a bunch of cool people we're really psyched to talk to. But if there's any topics you want to address, and like I said, any questions, we would love to hear them. And we have a contact uh, form on the website. Right. It's a very nice website. Peter did a great job making it recently. We're very proud of it. So definitely check that out. As always, thank you so much for tuning in, and we will see you next time. Have a great week. 